Good morning, y'all. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want you to open it with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. Listen, if, uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's extremely important that when you come to church every week, you see that me and Jeremy are just not making stuff up, stuff up and that like, we want you to follow what we're saying. So like, if you don't have a Bible, stop right there at that next steps table on the way out, and we would be glad to give you a Bible. That way, you can have the Word of God for yourself, and you can see what we're saying and where we're pulling it from. So if you do have a Bible, though, open with me to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to give you just a second to go there. And while you're going there, I'm going to start off with a little question for you. Have you ever noticed how in life people have this insanely selfish tendency? Can somebody turn me down just a little bit? Whoever has the thing. Uh, have you ever noticed how people have this insanely selfish tendency to take something valuable and sit on it all for themselves and like not share it or not give it away and just hold on to it? Anybody ever, anybody have that little streak, streak in them like you just hold on to something valuable and you, you push everybody else out? Okay, I was just making sure it wasn't just me. I was kind of worried there for a second. All right, but I remember this one time when I was, uh, I was probably a, a, a freshman or a, a sophomore in high school, might have been even younger than that. And uh, my family had this uh, Secret Santa gift exchange, right? And one of, the, one of the gifts in this Secret Santa gift exchange was a bunch of lottery tickets. And, like, y'all might be better people than me, but, I was, you know, I'm going to scratch off the lottery tickets. Maybe, maybe I won something, right? So I, I scratched it off, and uh, I saw, saw what I won. And to my surprise, it was $10,000. And, man, you just hadn't ever seen somebody so happy in your life. My mom might remember this, right? And I just come unglued. I was like, I've won $10,000. I'm so excited. And everybody started asking, well, like, are you going to share it with us? You know, we, we all open these things together. I was like, no, I'm not sharing this with you. I scratched off this ticket. I won $10,000 back up. And, I mean, I had done had, I done owned all kind of stuff that I ain't never even had the money in my hand yet, right? And so somebody was like, well, flip the thing over and just to see what you won, see where you have to go. And uh, so I got to reading this thing, and it said, uh, to collect your prize, go to the, play, the house of your mama and turn in the ticket. And I read that, and I was like, the house of your mama? That ain't, that ain't in the Capitol. <laughs> I thought the lottery was based in the Capitol, right? And so I, I got to realizing somebody had pulled a horrible, horrible, horrible prank on me, right? But in that moment, what my family realized was that I was probably the most selfish human being ever because I got $10,000 to myself, and I was going to sit on it. But, you know, the more I got to thinking about this week, the more I realized that Christians are exactly the same way, are we not? We tend to get the gospel for ourselves. We tend to get Jesus for ourselves. And then we sit on it and forget that there is a lost and dying world outside of these, outside of these walls who desperately need Jesus and the love that he offers and the change that he offers and the forgiveness that he offers. They desperately need him. But all we worried about is coming to church and getting fed, right? I just got, if I can make it till Sunday and I can come to church and I, and I just need somebody to feed me, somebody to take care of me, right? We forget, we got the best news in all the world and we, for, and we forget about it. You know, that's not at all what Jesus had in mind. Last week when Jeremy read this verse, Acts 1-8, Jesus said this, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know what Jesus was saying there? You're not just going to get this and sit on it. You're going to get this and take it everywhere you go. It's literally going to take over the map. Christ had in mind of movement when he said these words that would grow and flourish and spread like wildfire. Christ did not have in mind a community of people who would show up to church once a week and sing a few songs and hear a man talk and feel really convicted about the way they live their life and then leave and not do anything about it. 
It's not what Christ had in mind. As a matter of fact, last week as Jeremy preached, and then this week as I've been preparing for this message, I was convicted in a way that don't happen a lot. Like if you've been walking with Christ, you, you know sometimes you get a little convicted, sometimes you get a lot of convicted, and then sometimes you just like, my life's messed up convicted, right? That's the kind of this, this past week that I had as I was, as I was preparing for this. I, I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about me. I, I'm convicted about how few of us live lives that are centered on Christ and focused on mission outside of these walls, outside of ourselves. I'm convicted about how many of us, including myself, don't focus on Jesus as the main thing in our lives and then don't take him outside these walls to others. I'm convicted by just how good of a message I have to proclaim and just how many days I go through the motions and don't proclaim it at all. I'm convicted by that. And I hope today that you are too. And today we're going to look at how we can combat this. Listen, in this sent series we've been going through, We've been looking at how we could become people who don't just hoard the gospel for ourselves, but live on mission for Christ every single day. Even more today, we're going to look at this. How can we be a people who don't just sit on the gospel and stay in these walls, but how can we be a people who have an impact on Jiggins County and then outside of Jiggins County to the world around us? How can we be a people who, who are so on fire for Christ that the gospel leaves this place every Sunday and goes into the surrounding communities and surrounding places because we're so in love with Christ. How can we do that? Today we're going to look at a story in Acts that where this happened, okay? The, up until this point, let me give you a little bit of context. Up until this point, Jesus had ascended and the church in Jerusalem was doing great. But you know what? Jesus wanted the, the disciples to take the gospel to everybody in the world, not just keep it all in Jerusalem for themselves. So what's happened here at this point in the story is that the, they have all... They've all gotten together, and they've kept the gospel, and the gospel's growing in, in Jerusalem, and, and everything's going great, but not outside the walls. So here's what happens. God raises up a man named Stephen, and Stephen was a great follower of Christ, and all of a sudden, Stephen preaches the gospel so much and so well that lost people get mad at Stephen, and they throw rocks at him until they kill him, okay? And when that happens, all the other people who are not Christians are like, you know what, we should do this to all the Christians, right? We should just silence these Christians once and for all. And so what happens is, is a great persecution rises up on the early church, and the church is scattered, and they leave Jerusalem. And guess what? As they leave Jerusalem, they go preaching the gospel. And that's what we're going to read about today in this story. But as we read this story, I want to ask you a question, and I want you to focus on this question today. Because this has been the question that as I've prepared, and even this morning as I was praying in this place, as I was getting ready for this message, this is the question that I feel like God's weight on my heart that I have a lot of repentance to do this morning. This is the question. I want, I want you to feel the weight of the Word of God as we read this. And I want you to ask yourself this. Is my life centered on Christ and focused on His mission? Let me repeat that for you. Ask this question. If you're a note taker, write this question down. Is my life centered on Jesus? As a matter, that means he is the main thing in my life. Nothing comes before him. Is my life centered on Jesus, and am I focused on his mission? Am I focused on helping other people know the Jesus that I know? So let's read the Bible with that in mind. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. This is where it starts. The Bible says this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. 
And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. Listen, to this, this is important. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Let me, ju- let me just give you a little bit of free. This is not in my notes at all. I just was thinking about this as I was reading through this passage. Listen, you, want, you notice how the Bible says there that, that Philip did great signs? Like demons came out of people? And people who were paralyzed were healed. Wouldn't that be awesome if we saw stuff like that today? Like, I would love to see some stuff like that. You know, you know why Philip had the power to do this? You go back up there in that verse there, and it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Check this out. The signs that Philip did were to support the message that Philip preached. You want to know why we don't see a lot of signs like that today? Because we're not preaching that message. That's just that's completely free no charge for that, all right? So there, so there was much, verse 8, this is the most important verse. Go back to verse 8 for me. This is the most important verse in the whole thing. So there was much joy in that city. So here's the question I want to ask. We're about to pray. I want us to focus in on this question. How can we become a people who are like this people? How can we become people who are centered on the mission, who are centered on Christ and focused on the mission? How can we be a sent people? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you my outline, and then we're going to pray because I'm about to go really, really fast through some of this because we've got a lot of ground to cover, but I want you to know where I'm going. All right, so we've got four points we're going to cover today, and I'm going to tell you, how, tell, you, tell you them right now. Here we go. Sent people, number one, are not silenced by suffering. That's the first point. Sent people are not silenced by suffering. Number two is this. Sent people focus on God no matter their circumstances. All right? So you got one and two there? Number three is this. Sent people know the message. And then number four, sent people bring joy. So I want you to have those in case I, in case I can't, so you can follow along as we get going this morning. All right, let's pray before we, before we dive in. God, Heavenly Father, King above all kings, Jesus, I believe that you are the most satisfying thing in the world and that nothing is better than you, Jesus. And God, I just pray that right now today, that as we examine your word, that you would teach us to live, God. And more than that, I pray that you would capture our hearts, God, and let us fall in love with you, Jesus. I pray that we could see that today and that that lives and hearts would be forever changed, God. Please do an amazing and mighty work here today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Point number one, sent people are not silenced by suffering. So let me just give you this as a, uh, as a little heads up going into this thing. Listen, if, I'm, if I say anything today that, that offends you, please just hear me out to the end of the message, all right? Because as I was preparing for this message, it offended me. So I fully expect that if the Holy Spirit was offending me, he's probably going to offend you too. But listen, the, it, the good news comes at the end every time, all right? So if you've been coming to church here for any amount of time, you always know that at the end we give good news about Jesus, all right? So if I offend you today... Just stick with me, okay? First thing is this. Sent people are not silenced by suffering. The very first thing in this text that, point, that sticks out about how we can be a people who are sent is that sent people are not silenced by suffering. Look at verse 1. 
Can you put verse 1 up there for me, Russ? I want y'all to see this. And verse 1 says this, And there arose on that day a what? Say it with me. A great persecution. Y'all say it with me again. Wake up. And they arose on that day a great persecution. All right? So translation, people were getting drug out of their homes. Look at verse 3. Can you put verse 3 up there for me, Russ? Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. People who were Christians were getting taken out of their house and thrown in jail. That's, that's what persecution is. If you're a Christian, you get persecuted. That's what say, he's saying. The uh, Bible's saying here. People, and what I want you to see is that people who live sent lives, people who live on mission for Jesus Christ, people like those in this story are not silenced by suffering. In fact, they're willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. Think about it. When this persecution started, it says in verse 1, a great persecution broke out. When this persecution started, the people had to make a huge decision. They could either be silent about Jesus and be comfortable, or they could be sent by God and be persecuted. They had to make a huge choice. I can be quiet or keep everything and not risk losing anything, or I can stand up for God and I can stand up for Christ, and I'm probably going to lose everything I have. These people chose the latter. Let me ask you this. How about you? What do you choose? What do I choose when we are faced with the choice between being faithful to God or comfortable? What do we choose? Unquestionably, let me tell you, as I, was, as I was preparing this week, I had the thought that unquestionably one of the biggest problems in contemporary Christianity, that's modern day Christianity, is that many so-called Christians have bought into this lie that God and salvation exist to make their life easier. To make their life better. They, could, they come to church and they hear a message about if you just follow Jesus, everything will be better and life will be easy and, and nothing bad will ever happen to you. And listen, that is not what Jesus said. And buying into this train of thought, they completely missed the point that Christianity is about knowing God and worshiping Him. Worshiping him. And even more, it goes directly against what Jesus Himself taught. Uh, they failed to realize Christ promised Christians they would suffer. You know that? Christ promised Christians, if you follow me, you're going to suffer. See, Jesus didn't come preaching a religion of you need to take care of yourself and make yourself well off. You know what Jesus came preaching? He came preaching die to yourself. Look at Luke 9, 23 and 24. I think we got it up on the screen. This is, these are the words of Jesus. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself. Take up a cross. Those are not fun things. Then he says in verse 24, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus promises you, if you're going to follow me, you're going to be carrying a cross. And let me tell you, let me assure you of this. There is no comfortable way to carry a cross. There is no comfortable way to carry an instrument of torture that people died on. And Christ says, if you want to live, though, you want to find true life, true satisfaction, you want to try, find true joy, lose your life and then you'll find it. Luke 9, 23. Listen, this, in this text, I see two kinds of suffering that Christians have to be willing to deal with. All right, So follow me right here. I feel like there are two, thing, two kinds of suffering that if we're going to be sent by God, we're going to live on mission for God, we've got to be willing to suffer two ways. All right, The first one is this, worldly rejection, and second is material loss. Let's talk about each of those. Worldly rejection. 
See, what, what you, what you got to realize is that the Christians in this text were rejected and hated by the world. The world literally pushed back against them. When they came preaching the gospel, they picked up rocks and threw them at them and tried to kill them. Listen, I don't know uh, what, what kind of manners and etiquette you, you grew up in, but if somebody throws a rock at you, that means they don't like you, all right? That was, that was the way it worked in these times. If you were a Christian, they, they, hated, they hated Christians. They were trying to throw them in jail. But one thing we're spoiled about in our 21st century American and our American nation is that we think being a Christian is, is, God, is the way it's supposed to be. And nobody's supposed to be mad at us. And we're not supposed to suffer anything, right? Because we, we're morally good people and we've got it all together. And what we fail to realize is that worldly rejection has been the norm for Christians throughout history until about. 300 years ago you know what happened about 300 years ago a little nation called America rose up and people said you know what what we think we'll found this nation on Christian ideals and so then we had a little bit of favor and you know what we've completely forgotten we have completely forgotten that for the rest of the throughout world history we've been persecuted and judged and the world hated us Christians are rejected by the world because listen the world cannot possibly understand us and I don't mean I don't mean to be one of those guys who are who are uh, who are banging some kind of moral drum this morning that says oh the world outside is dead and dying and lost and going to hell but when you look at what we as Christians believe the world cannot possibly understand it when we tell people that we believe that there is only one God and only one way to heaven they don't like to hear that because what about people who don't have that one way to heaven when we tell people that you were so bad that the only way you could ever make it to heaven is if a man took your place on a cross and bled. They don't like that. They don't understand our message. They think that's offensive. When we tell people that we believe certain things about the family and about marriage and about sex, they don't like that. And listen, we shouldn't expect the world to understand that because, listen, before you knew Jesus, you didn't understand it either. You remember a time before you knew Jesus and somebody said, come up to you and said, you shouldn't do this or that because this is what God's word said. You're like, I don't want to hear that. But then when God stepped into your life and opened your eyes, you realized that what he said was true. Listen, we have to be willing to suffer worldly rejection. If you are a Christian, you may not be drug out of your home like these people will, but at some level, people are going to look at you and think you're a little bit funny because you know what? We believe stuff that's a little bit funny. If you don't believe that, open your Bible. And the main way I see this playing out today in our society is I see a great apprehension, a great hesitancy for us to open our mouths in our everyday lives and tell other people about Jesus. And as I was thinking about this this week, why are we so apprehensive and scared and, and, and just hesitant to open our mouths and tell people what we believe? I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth to die on the cross to pay for my sins and three days later he rose again. Why are we so scared to tell people that? And all I could come up with is this. We are scared to death of what other people are going to think about us when we tell them that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and the only answer to all their problems and the only way they will ever be satisfied here on this earth. Like, when you say that, it kind of comes, it, it's got the potential to come off as like, I know all the answers and I got the one thing you need and you don't know it, right? But listen, if we believe that, if we believe that Jesus Christ is the most satisfying thing in all the world and that people who die apart from Jesus will die and spend an eternity in hell, how can we possibly keep our mouth shut? 
And guess what? I'm not just preaching to you this morning because I'm in the boat right beside you. I got a list of things I pray for almost every single day. And one of those things is that God would make me courageous and that I would be willing to stand up and open my mouth about him. I pray that God would make me courageous so that if I do experience worldly rejection, I would be all right with enduring a little bit of suffering for the name of Jesus. You know that in Acts, when the apostles were persecuted for the name of Jesus, they rejoiced. When, when people threw rocks at them, they walked away singing praises, saying, praise God, we, we, are, we are so closely associated with Jesus that they hate us too. Because you know what they did? They hated Christ. The honest to goodness truth this morning is if we are so focused on our physical comfort and our worldly image on this earth, we're going to go through this life as cowards. You cannot be sent by God on mission and be comfortable, but you can be a coward and be comfortable. So we, we, we have to suffer worldly rejection. We also have to suffer this, material loss. I want you to see in this text, the people were not only willing to suffer rejection and physical humiliation, but they were willing to suffer material loss. In verse 3, we're told they're dragged out of their homes, thrown into prison. Many of the people lost everything because they were Christians. They lost money, they lost homes, they lost, lost life savings. And when they got out of prison, if they got out of prison, when they came back, all that stuff wasn't, wasn't still there for them to take back. They lost it all completely. However, material possessions were not as important to these Christians as being faithful to Christ was. They were willing to endure loss of possession for the sake of Jesus' name. Let me ask you this. Are you willing to endure loss of possession for the sake of Jesus' glory? Are you willing to suffer loss for Jesus' name? If I can be blunt and transparent about my own struggle here, I think this is where most of us who are born-again believers struggle at. Okay, I, I think many of us are so consumed with living the American dream and with buying the next thing or building the perfect home or whatever it may be, we get so focused on material possessions that we don't even think of living for Christ, much less being willing to lose for Christ. We just we get tunnel vision on what we think we need. Yet these men and women were losing everything for the name of Jesus. It's the very definition of insanity to focus our attention on physical and material things in this life when we are saved by a king who has promised us everything in the next life. Listen, I, I want to be honest with you about my struggle here, right? Because one of the things as Christians we're called to do is we're called to live humble and modest lifestyles so that we can be good stewards of the money God's given us so that we can advance the mission, okay? So I struggle with suffering material loss, all right? Because all of a sudden, I have one kid now, and I think I need a $60,000 Suburban. Like anybody else, anybody else got small kids? Like you get a small kid, right, and you think, I don't need a big vehicle, right? And then you pack up half your home to go somewhere, and the next day I'm on, uh, I'm on Auto Trader trying to find a $75,000 tank. I've forgotten all about Jesus. I've forgotten all about trying to live a humble and modest lifestyle so that I can promote the gospel and be a good steward of what God's called me to do. I struggle with this. And you know what? I get so tunnel-visioned on what I want that I forget God, that Jesus Christ is that right here beside me and that the world around me needs a good message. God, would you please focus our hearts today? 
Sent people live lives that are focused on Christ and they are not silenced by suffering. I'm begging you today, stop focusing on living your life for your own personal comfort. Christ said this is suicide. If you want to die to yourself, if you want to live, die to yourself and look to Jesus. You're, we're going to sing a song in a few minutes called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. And in one of the songs, one of the lines in the song says, The world behind me, the cross before me, I have decided Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Y'all know that song? And it's so true. If we want to follow Christ, we have to keep our eyes on the cross. We have to put the world behind us and say, I'm coming after you, Jesus, and I'm taking as many people with me to you as I possibly can. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Sent people focus on God no matter the circumstances. Let's look back at verse 1 again, Russ. Sent people focus on God no matter the circumstances. Okay, y'all still with me this morning? All right. Told y'all y'all was... It's heavy. Let's look at the end of verse 1. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Here's what I want you to see. Why were they scattered? Because of persecution, right? I got a couple people like, I don't really want to say this out loud because it might be wrong and he might make fun of me. If you would have got it wrong, I would have made fun of you, right? They were, they were moved because of persecution. They were moved by their circumstances. Now look at verse 4. What did they do when they were moved? It says, now they, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Notice this, the people in the passage were moved by their circumstances in their life, but they were not destroyed or downcast by what was going on in the world around them. They were moved physically, but spiritually they were unharmed. Why? Because these people were sent by, who were sent by God, and they were more focused on God than they were on their circumstances. They were moved by their circumstances, but they were motivated by their message. They went about preaching the word is what the Bible says. So even though they were moved in life, they still had one focus, one motivation. They were moved and motivated by the message of God. Their circumstances in life did not determine their obedience to God. That's not true for a lot of us. A lot of us, we're not going to be obedient unless God blesses us. But that's not for these people. These people said we'll be obedient to God no matter what happens. They were moved, and when they were moved, they went on mission for God. They were consumed by a passion for God instead of by a focus on their self. Many of us live defeated Christian lives. What I mean by that is we don't bear much fruit, if any fruit, in our Christian life. We just go from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, and we can't ever produce fruit for Christ that is glorifying to Him. Why? Because we're more concerned with our circumstances in life than our mission and our message. We cry, woe is me. I'm going through this, and I'm going through this, and I got this going on, and life's so hard, and I'm just beat up and beat down, and I can't keep going, and we fail to realize that God is moving us to use us. He's using the circumstances around us. Listen, if we're going to be faithful in our everyday lives, then we've got to start having a biblical perspective on our current circumstances. Much like these Christians in Acts 8 did. They saw suffering for what it was. The Christians in Acts 8 were more focused on God than their circumstances because they knew a, they worshipped a God who was in control of their circumstances. God wanted the mission to go forward. God made a persecution happen. Guess what happened? The mission went forward. 
Look at Isaiah 45, 7. I think, I think the Christians in Acts 8 knew this verse. It's going, to be up on, it's going to be up on the screen. It says this. This is God talking. Listen to this. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. That, uh, that word calamity right there in other versions is translated as tragedy. It's translated as suffering. It's translated as evil. I am the Lord who does all these things. It says, I form light. God says, I do good. And God says, you know what? When the bad things happen, I'm in control of that too. Let me give you a translation for what that means. Nothing happens in this life without God's approval. Nothing. Nothing happens in this world without coming across God's desk first. He is in control of all things. Let me make this practical and I think comforting for us here today. There is not a situation in this room that God does not know about, did not allow, and is not in control of. Let me, you want me to repeat that? There is not a situation in this room. Some of y'all didn't think that was good news. I thought it was great news. There is not a situation in this room. That means there is not a job that's been lost. There is not a marriage that is on the rocks. There is not anything in this room that God did not know about before it happened, permit to happen, and is right now in control over. That's good news. He is over all of life. That's why the Christians in Acts 8 were not concerned with their circumstances, but they were focused on the God who was in control over their circumstances. In order for us to be faithful in everyday life, we've got to have minds on the mission and stop focusing all the time on our circumstances. We worship a God who is sovereign over the circumstances. As Christians, we've got to have my eyes open to see that when God is making good circumstances, He's using Him to move us, and when God's putting us through bad circumstances, He's using it to put us exactly where He wants us so that we can be most effective for Him. Think about Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, y'all know what I'm talking about, got sold into slavery, got put into prison wrongly. Guess what? He had to go to the prison before he could go to the palace. God had to move him. And I think i got to really pick up my pace here, but I, I, got, I think if we're focused on Christ, we're going to have three, if we're focused on God instead of our th circumstances, well, there are going to be three things that are true about us. Number one is this. If we are focused on God and not our circumstances, we're going to be willing to go wherever God sends us, no matter what it costs us. Let me be honest with you. These people were sent by God to a place outside of their local community. Can you think about what they lost in doing that? They lost their homes. They lost their families. They lost their jobs. They lost their closest circle of friends, yet they lost nothing. They counted it all lost next to serving Jesus. We cannot get motivated to come serve orange on Sunday mornings, much less be motivated to move for the sake of somebody else knowing Jesus. I'm going to let that sit. The reality is, listen, let's make this a big picture. God might use our circumstances to move us, and we don't care what we lose. We'll do whatever he tells us to do whenever if we're focused on God and not our circumstances. And I just want to make this bigger than just Connection Milling right now. The reality is that we're going to continue to plant churches as Connection Church. we got churches in four locations right now. We're going to have one in five and then six and then ten and then twenty. And if you're honest and you hear God and you're obedient to do what he says, I believe that God will call somebody in this room to one of the church plants because God does not care about your comfort. God cares about the mission. We'll be focused on God no matter what it costs us. The second thing I think will be true about us is this. If we're focused on God, not our circumstances, the gospel will be our main motivation. 
So many of us are destroyed when bad things happen in life because the gospel is not our main motivation. We're motivated by the love of family. We're motivated by the love of money. We're motivated by the love of comfort and self-ease and self-satisfaction, but we're not motivated by the gospel. These people were not moved in trial because the mission and the message was their motivation despite what they were going through in life. Realize this, and this is huge. I want, I, I, I want you to hear this today. If the gospel is our main motivation, it does not matter where we are in life, God will use us. If the, God, if the gospel is our main motivation, we could be in the worst hell hole of a pit and we would realize that God has put me here because the devil must need Jesus. does not matter where we're at. If we're focused on God, he will use us. Can you imagine if the Christians in Acts 8 had had the attitude that many of us walk through life with? What if the woe is me attitude? What if these Christians in Acts 8 would have left Jerusalem and they just had their hands in their pockets and their lips hung down? And man, I just can't believe God ain't taking care of us. I don't know what we're going to do. Life's so hard. I, man, I lost my home. I lost my job. Man, I, I hate this. I don't know what to do. And if they'd had that, uh, that motivation, you realize the gospel would have never made it to me and you? The gospel would have just stopped. Praise God that the message was their motivation, not their circumstances. And just to clarify, I don't want to make light of life's circumstances. Sometimes things are hard. We get uh, horrible jobs or horrible marriages or horrible sicknesses. But however, what, we got, what Christ has called us to realize is that in those situations, the world is not our satisfaction. Jesus is our satisfaction. And when we remember that, we are free to live as Christ has called us to live. Third thing is this. When we're focused on God and not our circumstances, we will open our mouths. This is really important. I want you to notice who went around preaching the word. All right, listen, who, when they went preaching the word, who was it? Look at verse 4, no, verse, verse 1, very end of the word, very end of the verse. Can we put it up there? It says, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Read this with me. Except the apostles. Y'all don't follow directions well. Read this with me. They were, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So listen, when, they, when the gospel went forward, was it the preachers that went around preaching? No. Was it the apostles? Was it the deacons? Who, who, was it any of those guys? No, it was everyday normal people. I think the worst lie that the church has bought into is that bringing people to know Jesus is the preacher's job. Listen to what Tim Chester said. Tim Chester said this. He says, we need to have ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. You know what that means? I need people, as a preacher, this is, this is, this is what I need for a church to be successful. And, and this is what God needs. This is what any, anybody needs who's a church leader. I need plumbers and doctors and lawyers and janitors and you name it. I need cops. I need school teachers who go to school and go to their jobs, not focused primarily on how can I get through this day, but how can I show the world around me the love of Christ. We need ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intentionality. Notice only, not only that they were doing this, not only were they taking the word, I want you to see exactly what they do, were doing. Look at verse 4. It says, those who were scattered went about 
preaching. That word there for preaching in the Greek is this big word that I can't really pronounce. It's euangelizo, all right? But let me tell you what that means. I looked it up, so I'm not smart enough to know what it means. I looked it up. It literally means that they went around telling people good news. Here's what I want you to see. These people didn't go delivering seven-point sermons, all right? These people did not do what I'm doing to you, doing right now, okay? Listen, I, I typed up ten pages of this this week, and I'm going to give it to you all before it's 12 o'clock, all right? It's getting close. That's not what these people were doing, all right? These people were going to Brown, not doing anything groundbreaking. They were telling people good news. And we do the same thing today. We just don't do it about Christ. Think about it like this. When we win a game, we'll tell people. When surgery went good, we tell people. When people are cancer-free, we proclaim that. We shout it. We yell it. Praise God. Why do we not proclaim the good news of Jesus? They went around just telling people good news. Listen, I hate that old saying. The saying goes like this. Uh, Preach the gospel and use words when necessary. Y'all ever heard that? You, in other words, by the way you live your life, people should be able to tell you you're a Christian. Right? Anybody like that statement? Don't raise your hand. It's the stupidest statement ever. That's not, that's not what these Christians do. They went around telling people the good news of Jesus. Let me tell you something. This has punched me in my gut this week. Because getting up in front of a hundred or a thousand or however many people, man, that, that is cake. Getting in front of one person and telling them about Jesus is like punching me right in the gut. But listen, these Christians went around proclaiming good news. And if I'm going to be faithful, that's what I've got to do too. The third thing is this. Sent people know the message. For just a second, this is, I want you to, can we just focus, like everybody just focus on me for just a second. Like just let's get all eyes right here, right now, just looking up at me, all right? This is the most important thing I'm going to say today. So I, want you, I don't want you to miss any of it, all right? Just every distraction, cut it out because I really want you to get what I'm about to say in the next 7 minutes and 55 seconds. We know that sent people preach the word, but I don't think many of us really know what the gospel is. It's a churchy word that we mention all the time, and we know it has something to do with Jesus or the Bible, but I don't think many of us know what the gospel is. And those of us who do know it know it up here, but we don't know it in here. I want you to see what this message was they preached. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 5. Put it up there for me, Russ. It says this. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Philip went preaching one message, one word, Jesus. Now that seems so simple. But the single greatest problem, and I'm not speaking in hyperbole here, I'm not exaggerating, the single greatest problem in the church today is that we do not understand the message of the gospel. We have people who can fill a church pew and people who can put on Facebook, yo, time with God this morning, snap with God in my coffee, right? We got people who can do all that mess, but we don't have people who know the gospel. So we need to know what this message is that Jesus was preaching. What is the gospel? I think it would be more helpful for us to know what the gospel is not. Okay, so I'm going to tell you a couple things the gospel is not. Focus right here on this. This is important. The gospel is not self-help. 
Did you hear me there? The gospel is not, you can do better, you can be a better person, you can try harder, you've got it in, you just put on you, pull your boots up and time's tight, you can do it. It's not what the gospel is. But we sell it that way, don't we? We do. We tell people who are broken and struggling in sin, who are enslaved to sin, that there is a secret for them to do better in life. They just need to follow Jesus. We tell them, you're not that bad. You're not that bad of a person. They just have some struggles, and if they accept Jesus Christ into their heart, everything will be better. And this way of thinking, Jesus is not a savior on a cross. He's a cheerleader on the sideline saying, go Dallas, go Dallas, go Dallas, you can do it. We sell the gospel as the self-help. The real enemy becomes our behavior. You're not doing good enough. You need to do better. If we can just act and behave a little bit better, then everything will be okay. And that misses the whole point that the real enemy is not our behavior, but our heart. We don't just do bad things, but we are bad people in need of a good Savior. God help. The gospel is not out to make you a better you. The gospel is out to make, not to make us better people, but to make us new people. Philip didn't go down to Samaria preaching that Jesus could help them be better people. He went down preaching Jesus. The Jesus that died on the cross for the sins of the world. The Jesus that died on the cross and the grave could not hold him. And he took over the gates of hell and he's coming back. That Jesus. Second, the gospel is not something you do. Listen to me very clearly. This is, this is really important because this is the problem I see more often than not in our church right here. The gospel is not something you do, okay? Let me just explain what I mean in that. So many times we preach a good message about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins and the first response in this, and Jeremy will agree with me, and we talk about it all the time, the initial response of somebody who wants to be saved, that's such a good message, I've got to do something in return. I've got to do something that warrants that salvation. However, this is a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not something you do. It's something that has been done for you. The gospel is something we have. If the, listen, if the gospel is something we have to do, it's not good news because we'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough. The gospel is something that's been done for you. Philip went preaching Jesus, and the gospel of Jesus tells us that Jesus did everything, and we don't have to do anything except lay down and take it. What is the gospel then? What is the gospel? The gospel is this. I'm going to give you a few biblical definitions, so listen to me very closely, and I want you to take this with you home today. The gospel is this. The gospel is the good news that this sin-torn world that God created beautiful and that we ruined by sin is being redeemed by a Savior. The gospel is good news that man can be reconciled and have a relationship with God like we did, with God, like we did in the Garden of Eden when we walked with Him in the cool of the day. The garden, we can have a relationship like we did in the garden before sin in the world because Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross to tear down the wall of sin that separated me from God. The gospel is the good news that there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves because we were dead in our sin, but God made a way by the cross of Christ. We do nothing and God did everything. The gospel is the good news that although sin has ruined all of creation and put it under the curse of sin, Jesus died on the cross to, to break the curse, and there is coming a day when God will create a new heaven and a new earth, and there will be no much such thing as natural disasters and cancer and death or mental illness. There will be a day when we dwell with God in perfect health. 
The gospel is good news that Christ died on the cross, but that death was not strong enough to hold him. And after three days, he busted out of the grave, proving that he was God in the flesh. Let me give it to you in the most simple form I know how. Listen, the, uh, this is the gospel for a fourth grader right here. The gospel in the most simple form is this. God is great. Man is bad. Jesus died on the cross and rose again to pay the price for our sins. Now you and I have to decide how we're going to respond to him. Simplest form. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus did it all. We did nothing. Jesus took our sin, and we got His righteousness. Jesus was treated like a sinner, so that sinners could be treated like Jesus. And now all we have to do to respond to that is to lay down and say, Yes, Jesus, I want you. You're better than anything else. I'll follow you. Jesus did it all. Do you see why this is so important? Do you see why I wanted you to focus in? Do you see why I wanted you to count out all distractions? Because Philip went down preaching one word. He preached to him Christ. This is not about being a better person or doing something so that you can go to heaven. This is about Jesus. In the end, the gospel is good news because of the one word Jesus preached. Jesus. Jesus is the good news and we get to be with him forever. I love this quote by John Piper. Listen to this. Forgiveness of sins is good news because they, it removes obstacles to the only lasting, all-satisfying source of joy, Jesus Christ. Jesus is not merely the means of our rescue from damnation. He is the goal of our salvation. If He is not satisfying to be with, there is no salvation. He is not merely the rope that pulls us up from the threatening waves. He is the solid beach under our feet and the air in our lungs and the beat of our heart and the warm sun on our skin and the new song in our ears and the arms of our beloved. This is why the New Testament often defines the gospel simply as Christ. You know, that's the one word Philip went preaching, Christ. It's good news. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Y'all remember that old song? For some of you here today, I believe the day is the day of salvation because you have just realized for the first time that the gospel is not something you do, that the gospel is something that's been done for you, and that you realize for the first time that the gospel is not about making you a better person, but it's about being a new person who can live forever with Jesus Christ. And in just a few minutes, we're going to have a time well, I want to challenge you. If today is the day for you to accept salvation from the hand of Christ, for you to say, God, I want you and nothing else, we're going to have a few minutes for, in just a minute where you can make that public. And I want to challenge you from now to then, think about it. Because there is nothing better than Christ. Last thing is this. I'm going to close with this. Sent people bring joy. Look at verse 8. I told you it was the most important verse in the thing. It says in verse 8, there was much joy in that city. Here's what I want you to understand. Where the gospel of Jesus Christ goes, joy follows. The gospel is the good news that can, the only good news that can break the chains of sin in a person's life. Some of you are here today and you've been struggling with sin that you just cannot break and you don't want to do it, but it's the way you are and you can't help it. The gospel is the only good news that will break that sin. The gospel is the only thing that will ever fulfill our every expectation. You know what? Here's the reality of it. I don't need my wife. I don't need any of you. I don't need my family or anybody in this world to make me happy because Jesus Christ has already met my every expectation. The gospel is the good news, the only good news that can bring hope to the hopeless. Some of you are here today and you don't have no more shots. This is it. You, you are literally wondering, God, what's next for me? 
there's hope because of Jesus. And when the gospel is proclaimed, joy comes. And the gospel brought joy to this city because Christians didn't come in and sit on it together, but they went out and told everybody about it. They went into the world and they preached Jesus. So that's what I'm challenging you to do here today, church. Leave this place and preach Jesus to the world because we, have, we want people to have joy. We don't want people to live in a miserable state of sin and damnation. We want them to have joy. Think about the people in your circle of influence in your life. Do you not want those people to have the joy of Jesus Christ that you claim to have? This is why, as connection, we're going to continue to plant churches. I said we're going to talk a little bit about planting churches today. We plant churches because we know that we have a joy, and we want other people to have that joy. We are not going to hoard it for ourselves and sit on it like I was going to do that money. Instead, we're going to do all that was within our power to spread the joy of Jesus Christ. We're going to take normal people, people like me and people like you, and we're going to take an awesome message, and we're going to go to cities that are broken and desperate and needing Jesus Christ, and we're going to give them the joy of Jesus Christ. And you know what? We're going to start with Millen. This is our mission, so I want to close with this. Today, maybe you're here and you've realized, I don't have a personal relationship with Christ. I don't know Him. I don't have that joy that Dallas is talking about. Listen, if that's you and you don't have that joy, it's because you don't have that Savior. Let me make that clear. And if that's you, this is what I want us to do. I just want us for a split second to give you the opportunity. If you're saying, today I'm coming to Jesus, not just for salvation, but for joy. I'm surrendering my life to Him because He's better than anything else. If, you, if that's you today, I want you to just slip your hand up with me. And this is what's going to happen. We're not going to laugh at you or point and make fun. We're going to clap and celebrate because we love people, go, the people who are going to go to hell seeing them go to heaven. We love people in, in death going to life. So if that's you today, listen, let us celebrate with you and let us come pray with you. Is there anybody here today that you're saying, today I'm surrendering my life to Christ? Is that anybody? It's okay. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Is there anybody else? As they're going out praying, listen, I want to close with this. As they're, as they're leaving and praying right now, I want to close with this. I'm going to give you three things to think about. Pray for God to make you more focused on the mission than you are your circumstances. Get serious about other people knowing Jesus. And I want to challenge you, visit some of our other campuses that we have so you can see that the work that's going on here is not just staying here, it's going everywhere. And lastly, this is on my, put on my heart and I'm going to shut up after this. If you're a person who's a Christian and you don't have that joy that I'm talking about, I want to ask you one question. One question, and this is, this is the end question. Are you spending time with Jesus? Are you praying and reading your Bible? Because you're not going to have that joy unless you're at His feet. And so I want to close with that. If you need this morning to come down and lay anything down at this altar, this altar is going to be open. I challenge you to come and pray. I have a lot to repent of, so I'm probably going to pray myself. And let's do business with God, and then we'll go into the world sent on mission for Him. Let's pray. God, I am nothing but a servant at Your feet, God. And I just pray that even though I felt a burning in my heart this morning, God, I pray that I didn't burn up before it was time. God, I pray that You do a work in Your people right now. And that... As we, leave, as we leave here, we would be sent on mission, God. 
and not focused on ourselves. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.